case. Hope Not Hate are basically controlling Britain. Hope Not Hate, an alluring name for those more concerned about social justice than truth. These backward, these backward thinking, virtue, sick, virtue signaling, fake news creators. To another episode of the Hope Not Hate podcast. I'm Matthew, Hope Not Hate's uh, campaign director. I'm joined by Rosie, our senior policy officer. Hello, Rosie. I think this is Hello. your first time on the pod for a little while. It's for a long while, actually. Yeah, a long while. Well, we should do that more <laughs> often. I think listeners can judge this, judge whether we should or not. At the end of this episode, we'll have a vote on our Twitter page. Maybe. <laughs> uh, Rosie is joining me to talk about the Fear and Hope uh, 2019 report. Uh, Fear and Hope is uh, a series of reports that Rosie's been working on, uh, tracking the drivers of hate and, and public opinion, and it's a, it's a really weighty tome. Um, that makes it sound boring, doesn't it? We're going to break down any impression I've just given of it being boring over the course of this podcast. Um, Rosie, you spend a lot of time talking to members of the public, looking at polling, um, trying to work out where the country is going. The big breaking news for me out of this report is that Brexit is really important in this country. I know I'm joking, that's obviously like an, a, a sort of an axiomatic thing about British politics, but Brexit, this is called How Brexit is Changing Who We Are. Just talk me through that title first and then we'll dig into all of the details. Okay, um, so a bit of kind of background on the Fear and Hype reports. We've done them since 2011, so the whole point of them is to understand where the population's at where different people draw red lines, where people are moving and how people are moving across different issues of identity, race, religion, uh, and how they feel about their own lives as well. So it's not so much Brexit itself in this kind of black and white division, but it's what that's done. So it's kind of the effect of Brexit rather than June 2016, what happened then. So It's not the intricacies of EU treaty law. It's, it's absolutely not that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think, I mean, we had these six tribes, we call them identity tribes, I've inherited the term, um, so I'm running with it. <laughs> um, but we've basically split the population into these six groups who all see the world around them very differently. Um, it's this kind of overlap of economic security and cultural anxiety as well. So where those two things rub up against each other and that seems to draw out different groups who behave and act very, very differently to different kind of conditions and instances. Um, so what we saw was this huge kind of growing um, liberal group, uh, which is good news for us. Uh, but we also saw a kind of hardening of the more hostile end. So we kind of wanted to explore what was happening a bit more. And we found that that kind of six group model wasn't quite capturing what we were hoping to find. And we tracked those six groups over time, over a series of polls. Yeah, so for seven year years, year. we've been looking at those. Yeah. Um, we've been mapping them, we've been doing all sorts of stuff, but we wanted to really understand what was going on. Um, so we came up with a new model. So now we've got seven groups, which doesn't actually sound very different. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but we found that the lines that draw people apart, so it kind of moved from more of an economic anxiety, kind of cultural anxiety, that mix, to actually much more to do with political mistrust, to do with feeling the system was broken for various different ways. And although a lot of the kind of values that people shared were very, very similar, we found that actually how people felt about Brexit and this kind of very, very strong Brexit identities, this kind of created this kind of two remain or leave identity that obviously not everybody identified with it, but for those who have identified with that very, very strongly, it created this weird new dynamic. And is it, is it the how people voted and what caused them to vote 
or is it how sort of the impression that people have projected onto Leave voters or Remain voters? There's sort of growing perception that Remainers are more city-bound liberal types, and therefore people who voted Remain kind of are pu pulling themselves that way. Or is it that those conditions were there in the first place? I mean, it's a bit of both, I think. I mean, when you ask people, do you think of yourself as a Remainer or a Leaver? Most people put themselves at either extreme. It's not the full story. I mean, these groups are absolutely not the same in any way. And it's partly kind of how they see the other side as well. And they do see it as a kind of homogenous mass. And it's, I mean, I think there's a bit of a clash there where you think they're these kind of Brexiteers, they're all the same, or they're all these Romaniacs, they're all the same as well. And actually, what we were trying to do is cut down into that a bit more and find out what the differences are. And uh, I mean, a lot of it has to do with what people expect from Brexit. There's been this real shift that we saw in levels of optimism. So when we first started doing these reports in 2011, people who were most pessimistic about their lives tended to, to be more hostile towards other people, to have kind of a worse condition of life. They lived in towns, not core cities. They had lower levels of education. What Brexit did um, for many of those people was it offered a, a new sense of hope. So we found this kind of complete kind of reversal of optimism and pessimism. So Remainers in London, who were once among the most optimistic, suddenly thought it was the end of the world and they became incredibly pessimistic. And on the other hand, people thought Brexit was really going to kind of solve their problems and it, it was going to, you know, I mean, we won, it was going to happen. It's economic prosperity, we're going to get mon more money for the NHS, all of these things. So it's a lot to do with kind of what it means to people and of course there's people who don't care about it at all who are kind of stuck in the middle and they split all sorts of different and in many ways they're, Jealous. Are, they're the people I'm most interested in because they're yeah. the people you can move right and I think I mean the reason we split this we use these tribes to split the population is so that we can understand where the right can tap into and how we can stop it so how we can move people across that spectrum so we're kind of less interested in the extremes in this case and more interested in what are the issues that make people move, what are the issues that stop people sliding to the right. So I want to talk about the political distrust um, as, as a driver, um, but let's go through these seven groups, just uh, give people a, a quick sketch of, of who these people are and how much of the population we think they make up, and then we can, we can start talking about them in some more detail. Yeah, so we've got two... Um, I guess we call them like the liberal groups, um, which are quite similar to the two liberal groups that we had in the previous module. Um, and they make up about a third of the population, I think. My maths is not very good at the moment. <laughs> but I think if you add them all together, it's about a third. And they see immigration and multiculturalism as very good for the country. Um, they tend to identify more on the Remain scale of things. Um, they tend to kind of be more educated. There's a higher mix of of black and minority ethnicity people within those groups. Um, so those are there. And then on the other end of the spectrum, it's quite interesting. We get these two groups who share a lot of the same opinions. They are pretty anti-immigration. Um, they're very kind of concerned about, about Islam in Britain, hold extremely prejudiced attitudes towards Muslims. Um, they kind of see white people in Britain as experiencing discrimination on the same scale as as black and minority ethnicities in this country. But actually what splits them is Brexit. So we've got one group who are motivated by Brexit. They see themselves very strongly as Leave voters. They identify with UKIP. They're going to go and turn out and vote for the Brexit party. 
on the other side, we find a group of people who are really angry, really frustrated. They tend to be poorer, they tend to be in less secure work, if they're in work at all. Um, they are almost homogeneously white. Um, they don't have a lot of education or opportunity. Um, and for them, they really feel that the political system is broken. They are not motivated by Brexit. Many of them will have voted leave, but they don't, they don't care about it that much. It's not answering their problems. So we find this kind of real split on far-right support, potential far-right supporters as well. And then in the middle, we've got these three groups, two who are pretty ambivalent, hold slightly different identity issues, and then one uh, who actually seen immigration and multiculturalism as very positive, um, but they are more ambivalent about things, and they are the only group that we find who are more optimistic than pessimistic. Um, so they tend to be a bit wealthier, a bit more secure in themselves. So that's basically how it works. And the when we look at let's take a look at the the, the sort of one extreme first the hostile Brexiteers, um, you know they are uh, very angry but they are engaged and they're they're kind of that's the the pool that the Brexit Party are, are sort of fishing in if you like, they include some former Labour voters, um, but these are people that have moved more towards Nigel Farage. Do you th- do you think that they are? Um, kind of people who are um, potentially uh, people that Boris Johnson could appeal to with his no-deal rhetoric? Is that what he's trying to trying to get at? Yeah, I mean, I think for these people, a no-deal Brexit is the only kind of real form of Brexit. Um, they also, I mean, would really identify with a kind of English nationalist statement. Um, so, yeah, definitely. I mean, they're the kind of people who want a kind of strongman leader, and that's who they identify with. Right, and the, the these the second of these kind of hardline groups, the anti-establishment pessimists, um, they're, they're very very angry about the state of politics and very distrustful. And I think in the in the report it describes this group as being where Stephen Lennon, and Tommy Robinson is able to to find some support. Well, I'm interested in um, what got them disengaged in the first place. This is a really a group of people who are very poor, struggling economically. Is it is it the failure of successive governments to remedy their economic situation? The fact that they've been uh, they've lost out in globalization um, is is that what driving the political distrust, or is it a more general cultural situation, or a bit of both? I mean, it's a bit of both. I mean, I think you can't kind of write off all of these things as economic pessimism. I mean, there are a lot of people who hold very racist views within these groups and they exist but I think there is also a sense of the fact that they they haven't kind of been paid attention to they haven't been listened to they feel voiceless and I think that's where a lot of this kind of conspiracy thinking about PC culture suppressing things about the fact that there's bans on nativity plays that there's no go zones that all of this stuff is in part because the world is moving without them and they're not keeping up with social norms they have racist views but they also feel that the world has moved on without them. So it's this kind of weird thing. Without their permission. It moves in together, but, but nobody's listening to them. That's the yeah. key thing. And that's this anger at the political system. I mean, this is the group who are most likely to, to either get violent themselves or sit by it as things become violent. They're really pissed off. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's gonna a bit have to, of We're going to have to label this a podcast containing explicit content now you've Sorry. sworn. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just go to the other extreme. I mean, I think extreme is quite a, a sort of. I don't mean that as a pejorative label, but to go to the other end of the spectrum, the 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 sort of pro-Romani 
groups, you know, active multiculturalists, liberal Remainers in particular. One of the things that's really interested me about these two groups, and you kind of see it anecdotally amongst friends and on, and on Twitter, is just how angry these people are and um, willing to engage in quite hostile language towards other people, uh, really vitriolic. I think Home Not Hate saw that in some focus groups that we ran or community mm -hmm. meetings that we ran after the referendum where the Remainers were just so hostile that you couldn't have sensible conversations. Is that borne out by the polling? I mean, I think so. I think, I mean, we call it kind of the growing intolerance of the tolerant. It's this, this kind of idea that I'm right and you're not. And I think that's where we really see this kind of jarring on both sides of the Brexit divide as well, because it's, it's this sense of kind of, because it was a black and white choice, it's like, well, we won this time and you're still telling us we're wrong. And when you get people who are very hardcore remain and really believe that, I mean, quite often they are slamming people off as stupid, ignorant, uninformed. And actually, I mean, there's so much nuance in there and people have very confusing views. And I think as well, a lot of the time people don't know about a lot of these things. And we found that in the focus groups, we also found that once you start asking people about things, people really, really want the opportunity to talk about these things. They want to know some answers. They want some more information. It's, it's really complicated and it's trying to kind of unpick some of that. And I think kind of, among some Remainers, and it's obviously not all, but there's a small proportion who their rhetoric around leaders kind of voting against their own will is very unhelpful for their cause. Um, how are you going to win anyone over when what you seem to be advocating for is the status quo that most people didn't want in the first place? So I think we come back to the kind of switching levels of optimism and pessimism. It's, it's not going to be the end of the world for people who live in big houses in Hampstead for for whom everything seems to work. Right. Um, There's a really incredible line from one of the focus groups you ran at a, a Leave voter saying, the only reason these people in London are so angry is because for once it's their boat that's being rocked. And that's re this really stayed with me, but it, it, it is making people angry and they, they feel a loss of control almost, like they're not having it their own way. I think it's really, um, it's really interesting. Um, taking a sort of a step back, going sort of um, 10,000 foot again, rather than any of these individual groups, I want to talk about some of the things from the report about the country as a whole and how things are going. The first thing I want to talk about is the rise of um, anti-feminist views. Uh, you know, I've talked to Owen Jones, our education director, a bit about this from a sort of an anecdotal point of view. He's hearing more and more um, anti-feminist, misogynist comments amongst young people. Um, but that, that kind of, you know, anecdotal evidence is borne out in some of the research, right? Yeah, so we don't just kind of ask people about immigration, about their attitudes to different religious groups. It's also kind of general kind of big issues that give us different values. So we ask people, we actually ask quite kind of <laughs> extreme statements on, on feminism, um, how some of them wouldn't go gone too far. Uh, we also asked, um, I think it was based on a statement from, from UKIP's Carl Benjamin, um, or Sargon of Akkad. Um, <laughs> you can't not laugh at that. <laughs> I've forgotten about him. Um, <laughs> lucky you. <laughs> um, but I mean, it's this idea that, that feminism is marginalising and demonising men. Hmm. Um, and what we found was that there's actually a huge proportion of people who, who believe that to be true. Um, and what was worrying was that actually among young people who have far more liberal views on all sorts of other identity issues, this was really cutting through and this was where a lot of people kind of supported it. Um, but again, it comes down to the thing that actually people who 
held the strongest anti-feminism views, were also angry about all sorts of other things. Um, and it was this group of people who are angriest about the state of their own lives, feel that things aren't working for them, feel they're not listened to. That's where it's really coming down to, and it, it does quite often come down to men. I mean, 42% of men in this survey overall said that they believed that feminism was demonising men. Um, it's this feeling of kind of the underdog effect. It's this feeling that, again, things are moving on, you're not being paid attention to, you don't have the, the privilege maybe that you once did because... We don't live in a society that functions like that anymore in some ways. I mean, a feminist cause has quite a long way to go. But right. it's this real sense of of kind of disempowerment that's feeding this. And it's, I mean, I kind of think about it like this like kind of knotted up thing where all these anxieties are kind of bundled up together. And it's kind of your place in the world. It's how things are moving. It's international events. It's your kind of day-to-day interactions with people. It's the quality of your job, your life, your kids, all of this stuff gets bundled up together and you can't just kind of pull one string out because it gets stuck. Mm. And I think it really kind of becomes, I mean, I think this is why the kind of narratives around PC culture suppressing, we can't say what we think anymore, that kind of knotted upness, I think that's why it's so powerful because it's really easy to offer quite simplistic narratives like that. It's very, very difficult to explain the, the complications of of all of those kind of strings tied together. Yeah, and presumably one of those strings is Islamophobia, which the report finds is still deeply embedded in many parts of the country. Yeah, I mean, I think it's an outlet. I think it was quite interesting. We've uh, we've kind of been monitoring attitudes to Muslims and Islam in Britain since 2011. I mean, Muslims are seen distinctly differently and more negatively than any other religious group. Um, so we've asked people kind of whether they think Islam is compatible with a British way of life, whether they see it as a threat. And there's a big proportion of people, although it has shrunk over time, there is good news in this as well. Um, people generally are becoming more liberal, uh, but it's kind of incremental change. But there's still a large proportion of people who do see Islam as a threat to Britain. Um, and th- what we did this time was dug down a bit into that. So we asked them why. What is it about Islam that you see as such a threat? Um, and what people tended to say was it was this idea that Islam is intolerant, that people will not allow things. And this fear of Sharia law really came through, that, that people really genuinely believe that Islam is trying to replace British law with Sharia mm. law. And it's this real fear that Islam is incompatible because it doesn't kind of allow for difference or it doesn't allow for criticism. And that, again, feeds into this kind of PC narrative. So it's this real kind of... But again, it, it comes down to kind of people feel th- threatened and they feel that their privilege is threatened and their mm. place in society is threatened. So it's it's a really kind of messy combination of things. It was really interesting to me the extent to which um, different types of Islamophobia have crept into liberal opinion. Saeed Avazi, the Conservative Party, uh, member of the House of Lords, said that Islamophobia was the the only type of prejudice that was respectable at the dinner dinner party circuit. And I think that this polling bears that out. But I also think that you know, elements of uh, uh, the views expressed are to do with concern about an attack on liberal values in the way that Islamophobia in the past has maybe been a concern from you know, the nationalist side. There's now you know, liberal anxiety, as wrong as it might be, it's, it's definitely creeping into 
the liberal perspective. Well, I want to pick on one of the things you, you just said about um, optimism. One of the things that was really cheering about this report was uh, the, the change in opinion on the environment and the extent to which um, across the board people are kind of see the need for, for action and yeah, I mean, this was really positive, I think, particularly because... So we'd asked people various questions about the environment within a f- period of just a few months. And we saw that the environment kind of leapt up from number seven on people's most important issues list to number three in just a few months. And I think, really, it was the impact of quite high-profile campaigning. It was it the was, pink boat. It was, it was the pink boat. The big pink boat, <laughs> the, the Extinction Rebellion. But really, were. I mean, there was a lot of coverage of Extinction Rebellion, and people generally saw them quite positively as it was going on. I mean, it was disruptive, but it wasn't kind of... It didn't annoy people. It was People uh, saw it as important. This is not the main thing they were trying to do, but the fact that they closed down whole areas around Oxford Circus was really, really good for pedestrians. Exactly. It was lovely to walk around <laughs> the area. One good thing. <laughs> um, but I think, it's, I, think, I think Extinction Rebellion had a really, really positive I- effect. But I think also, I mean, people like Sir David Attenborough and his coverage mm. of climate events, I mean, especially coming from such a trusted and kind of well-respected person and it's really cut through to he was at, he was at glastonbury he was at glastonbury, was speaking to 100, people at glastonbury. amazing <laughs> exactly but i mean you might expect him to be speaking to a glastonbury audience about climate change what you what he was doing kind of wider within his work at the bbc really cut through to people who maybe hadn't considered these issues at the kind of emergency level that we really are at and i think it was quite amazing as Kind of working in campaigns for many years, you sometimes feel like you're fighting this endless battle, but I think actually seeing people sit up and listen. And I mean, across the board, we had huge majorities of people who said they were willing to make a personal sacrifice to limit climate change. So even among UKIP voters, who, among whom there's quite a lot of climate change deniers, according to our polling, even there, there was a huge majority of people who were willing to make a sacrifice personally to, to kind of limit climate change. So... There is definitely good news, but it's always kind of worth campaigning on stuff you care about. Well, it's always nice to end on a on a positive note. And uh, on that note, uh, what, being worthwhile campaigning on issues, just want to end up by thanking members of the Hope Action Fund who help sustain our work and our campaigning. Um, you can join by going to hopenothate.org.uk and clicking the big button in the top right-hand corner. Rosie, thank you again. I really, really recommend that people... Uh, uh, go to the website, read the Fear and Hope report, which has been s- supported by the Paul Hammond Foundation. We really appreciate their support. Um, it, it's, a, it's a big document, but there are so many interesting things in here uh, and lots of content on the website that breaks it down as well. Uh, for now, thank you for listening and see you next time. <laughs>